I spent a lot of time looking at 1 Corinthians 10 going, just, just looking at it, really. Um, and there is so much to share in there, and there's so many places to go. And it really doesn't do it justice to read 1 Corinthians 10 on its own. It, like, like I said again, the letter really needs to be read in its entirety to see the whole perspective of what Paul is laying out. So go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 10. And if you don't know where that is, just kindly ask a friend and, or look in the front of your Bible and... We'll help you find that. It's near the back. It's going to be right after Romans. But here's the point I want to bring to you today. If you remember nothing else, we can endure because God is the one who sees us through. We can resist temptation and sin because he gives us the power to do it through him. We have victory over sin because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And because of him, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can endure because God sees us through. I want you to remember this is a letter to a church that Paul loves. Everything that has been said to this point has been for their good, even though it was very hard. The rebuke, the talking to, he laid down for them. And the encouragement, all of it has been in love. Nothing changes when he writes this strong warning to the disciples. They are to reject and to fight against the sin that could harm them. He doesn't mess around. Paul himself, in his writing and in his life, we can see back at the end of chapter 9, he isn't just going through the motions of discipline, but instead he strikes a blow to his body. He's a boxer. He's an MMA fighter. He puts his body into submission. He is in control. Because God has given them power to be in control. And he's serious because he wants to receive the eternal life and blessing that God has promised to him and to all who put their faith in Christ. Just like Paul, we have an essential need for self-discipline. We need it because God has given new life and freedom to all who belong to him. We don't want to be the people who throw this gift away. For that is the only sin that people will be judged for, that they will receive eternal condemnation for, is for rejecting the gift of eternal salvation that God freely grants to everyone. And we can honor him because he is the one who keeps us secure. We are motivated not by punishment, but by grace and love. We are motivated because our identity is as his people. And his faithfulness to fulfill his promise drives us on. He has given us strength to resist evil and sin and do what is right. 
He gives us room to thrive in the freedom he gives us, to live for him as we were created to, making mistakes as we learn to live under the grace that he has granted, striving to put Jesus above all in our life, and for him to guide us in our words, actions, and love. But life is hard, yes? And freedom is easily abused. So this is something we cannot do on our own. We must rely on God. So if we divert to rely on ourselves instead, we can expect sin to creep in. Think about this. Children who are poor or who don't have love from their parents starve for care and compassion. It makes them thankful and puts them in a position to cherish what they have received when they do receive love. But spoiled children don't understand what they have. They only cherish what serves themselves in that moment. They see no value in the gifts that they get. And they are quick to forget the giver. We are not self-sufficient. Nor were we created to be. We were created to rely on God from birth to death and beyond. From every breath to the outcome of every choice, we are at the mercy of God. And how blessed we are to know his mercy. But what happens when the people of God take his kindness for weakness? His love as a license for evil. This is what Paul warns the Corinthians against. This is what Paul warns all believers against. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13. I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. What does all that mean? What did, what did he just say there? Who is he talking to first and foremost? Can you, can you pull that? It's in the first sentence. He's talking to brothers and sisters. He's talking to believers here. Those who have put their faith in Christ. Now what you find here is the identity that Paul gives the church. This is a church of both Jews and Gentiles, and yet he calls the Israelites their ancestors. He's calling the Israelites the ancestors of these believing Gentiles as well. That is to mean he's identifying the ancestors in the church to be God's people. Both then and now. Now the Israelites had the presence of God with them, protecting them and guiding them. That's what he's referencing in the cloud that went ahead of them. Fire by night. He provided everything they needed as he led them toward the promised land. The presence that accompanied them, Paul identifies to be who? Who? Yeah, he identifies him to be Christ. They received physical saving by the water that came out of the rock as they were starving and 
dying of, of dehydration in the desert. And they were given water and food miraculously. But in Christ, they were being spiritually rescued. And that was a care that many rejected. The point being that they had God with them, and even though God was with them, holding their hand through the whole thing, providing everything that they need, they still rejected him and ignored him and rebelled against him and complained. God had made it so that they had to rely on him for everything. And he provided for them, but many still chose to rebel. Verse 5 says, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. This is a warning, right? Now as we read four references to the great consequences that fell on God's people who rejected him, I want you to consider your own heart in all of this. Because you're going to read these and you're going to go, oh, I would never do any of those. Left to our own devices, yeah, we would. That's why we must be driven by the Spirit of God. We must rely on the Holy Spirit because without him in us, guiding us, we do get lost. Verse 7 says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it was written that people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. That's a short sentence for a very big problem. That's a reference to the golden calf. The Israelites had been saved from slavery. They'd been brought out of Egypt, right? Part of the Red Sea, go through it. They're going to worship God. And so they get to this mountain where they're going to worship God. Moses goes up on the mountain. They're all so terrified they can't even approach the mountain because they can hear the voice of God. They're terrified of him. But they have an advocate, right? Moses approaches the mountain for them. And up on that mountain, Moses uh, gets the Ten Commandments and other instruction from God. Now, what do the people do while Moses is up there? Yeah, they get him, it literally says they get impatient. They get impatient. They went all the, they were delivered from, from slavery. They make it through all these trials and tribulations. They make it through, just squeak by as God takes them through to his presence. And then they get impatient. Moses goes up to the mountain to listen to God. God reaffirms his covenant and gives Moses the Ten Commandments. Moses goes back down to the camp and finds they got tired of waiting for him to come back. So the priest built a baby golden cow to be their God instead. And now they're having a party to celebrate. 3,000 of them die that day. And a plague falls on Israel. Verse 8. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. What is this a reference to? Anybody? Not snakes yet. Not snakes yet. This is a reference. (coughs) Excuse me. To the men of Israel being seduced by the pagan Moabite women. Anybody know somebody who like joined a cult or uh, like 
went to the to the Mormon church or or meeting or anything like that because a girl enticed them to go? Hmm? Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what is being referenced here. So these these nice Moabite women entice the men of Israel, invite them to their temples to sacrifice to these sacrifices to their God, and they bow down and they worship these God the, these gods in part because of these attractive women. A plague falls on the people. 23,000 of them die in one day. Their leaders are killed. And one of the most gruesome and brazen flaunting of sin happens. And it's stopped by this this graphic uh, judgment. Verse 9. We should not test Christ as some of them did. And they were killed by snakes. That's reference to them grumbling. We don't want like this manna, oh, this, this delicious honey tasting thing that you give us every morning. Oh, it's not good enough for us. And they complained about that and the water and the care that they were getting. And God sends another plague to them and allows them to be afflicted by snakes and gives them a way out. And that was to look at the bronze snake on a staff that Moses held above. All they had to do was to turn in faith to uh, the, the salvation that, or the healing that God had provided for them. <coughs> and then do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel, or your Bible might say the destroying destroyer. Same reference to the, to the one of the plague of Israel who destroys the firstborn of all who are not um, who don't put the blood on their doorposts, who don't have, who don't partake in the Passover. The snakes were a consequence of their complaining about water and the manna that God had given them from heaven. This consistent rebellion and whining led to the destruction of that entire generation. Not one of the adults, save for Caleb and Joshua, made it into the promised land. Their kids and their offspring made it, but those people rebelled and were judged. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of ages has come. What does that mean? That means we know not what not to do, right? Like we can look back and see, man, they made some very simple mistakes that led to huge consequences. Those did not disrupt God's plan And he still saw his people through. Those are examples we need to heed. And we need to understand that all of time, the culmination of the ages is leading to this point, to this time that we are in now. We have the blessing. I mean, I think often like, why am I born in this time now? Why wasn't I born 100 years ago? Why wasn't I born 2,000 years ago? I think that reveals the purpose of God and the purpose of your life. He cares enough for you. He knows you so personally. He placed you in this time that you are now. 
and in his patience and in his justice, he has judged nations, he has judged his people, all so that we can learn from them. So I think we should probably learn from them. All of history has been leading up to our time, and we live with the benefit of learning from the mistakes of the past. We can't fool ourselves. We are just like them, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. Verse 12 says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Romans 11.22, write a little note for that one. Romans 11.22. And 2 Peter chapter 3. Romans 11.22, 2 Peter chapter 3. This verse right here, verse 12, three commentaries I have all skipped over this verse. Nobody wanted to deal with it. And what a shame. This is the crux of what Paul is teaching here. Complacency kills. There are consequences for rebelling against God. There are consequences. This is a warning for everyone who takes the security of salvation for granted. The superficially religious... The high and mighty, those that think they are good people, not understanding that no one is truly good but God. We still need him. Always have and always will. And that is a good thing. There is no better place, no more joy you will find in your life than when you find yourself relying on God for every breath, every step. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Did the people of Israel, did they have to die from the snakes, from the plague? No, he gave them a clear way to escape the judgment. He provided it himself. If only they would turn to him in faith. Now this verse, verse 13, is often misquoted. Like, like God won't give you more than you can handle, right? Well, God is going to give you more than you can handle, He really will because his desire is to be with you, for you to rely on him in all ways, for you to wake up to the fact that you actually do have to rely on him for everything. He most certainly will give you more than you can handle, but he doesn't leave us to be trapped or crushed by temptation. This is a lie that we like to tell ourselves when we're tempted by sin. We tell ourselves a few things. One is that I feel like I'm the only one in the world struggling with this problem. Another one is that I don't see any way out of this. I don't feel like I have any choice. Or that I don't have the strength 
to make it through that temptation. All three of those we all know to be lies. They are not true. No one forces you to rebel against God. No one forces you to sin. Paul Washer has a, I I really love his preaching, but Paul Washer says the reason that you sin is because you love it. The reason you keep turning back to that thing that is hurting you most is because you love it. And often you love it more than you love God which is why it's afflicting you. Which is why it will break you down. And which why God allows you to be broken down, to bring you to repentance, to bring you to him where you are secure, where you are safe. Where there is forgiveness and love and mercy beyond any that we could consider to give ourselves. God provides an escape, which is following the conviction of the Holy Spirit and going to God for our needs and relying on God is that best place to be. There is always a way out, and that is to turn to Jesus. No one can force you to sin. It is a choice. And God is always with us, teaching us to trust him. For believers, we have this special privilege, this special communion with God, and that is all who put their faith in Christ have him living within. And God gives us each other. We have the Holy Spirit who guides us and seals us and confirms our identity. We have the blessing of his promises and we have the power and the presence of God in us. We can overcome sin because Jesus was an all God and all man. And he overcame sin in our place where we could not. And now he gives us the strength and the power to follow him. And although we will fail, he props us up with life and with the security of salvation. Now comes the encouragement. Your sin is not special. Your sin is not special. So don't justify it that way. You're going to be tempted, but God is faithful. It's not without purpose. All of us undergo temptation. Jesus underwent temptation. You may doubt, but God stays true. You will make mistakes, but God has forgiven us, and his love endures forever. You will still struggle with sin, but Jesus is enough for you and overcame it all for you. The cross is finished, and our judgment has been paid for by God himself. There is no wrath waiting for you if you have received the gift of Christ There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the cross is finished and our judgment has been paid for by him. So the forgiveness is given to anyone who will receive it from the giver of life. 
our creator, Jesus Christ. The savior that loves you so much that while you were still sinners, he died for you. He died for you before you even were born. He died for you and created you knowing who you were and who he will make you to be. Jesus is who who is God, came to save us. He died on the cross, but three days later was raised to life. Romans 10, 9 through 11 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not you might be saved. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. What does that mean? That means if you believe that Jesus or that God had the power to raise Jesus from the dead, then he has the power to raise you from the dead. If you can trust God for who he says he is and that he's going to do what he says he's going to do, that is faith. He makes the unholy his holy people, the condemned to death, the people of eternal life with him. And no one can snatch him from the Father's hand. John 10, read that. John 10. Mark that little bad boy down. You are not defeated. You are not too far gone. You are not lost or without hope if you trust God and believe Jesus to be the rescuer of your life. John 6, 32 through 40. And this is going to be the final verse that I share with you today. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, But it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Is he talking about bread right now? Hmm. Next. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. This is the disciples speaking. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be hungry thirsty but as i told you you have seen me and still do not believe all those the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me i will never drive away for i have come down from heaven not to do the to do my own will but to do the will of him who sent me and this is the will of him who sent me that i shall lose none of all those he has given me but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. That's a reference to what? What the Israelites had a glimpse of, right? And I will raise them up at the last day. So in Christ, we have new life. We are born again. But we can't go back to our old way. That is dead and gone. 
Don't give into idolatry or sin with your freedom. Instead, humble your heart and fall on your knees before the Lord. Turn to Jesus for forgiveness. Look to Jesus to resist sin. And look to Christ for salvation. Let's use our lives to honor Christ, to be obedient to him because of the love he has for us, which is not based on our actions. Or what we do, but solely on the eternal grace of God. That means I love you no matter what. And he means it. For this reason, we are careful to live with a purpose. And we are on guard as we train and learn to resist sin. And we have confidence that he will see us through because he is faithful. Let's pray. Lord, we suffer day and night for you, Lord. We suffer as we face the reality of the sin in our life, Lord. But Lord, I ask that you don't let our hearts be defeated. Let us see what is true. Let us see the forgiveness and the grace that you have given. Let us see, Lord, that you have given us the power and the freedom to resist. Let us worship you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Lord, give us the confidence. Reassure us of the truth, Lord, that you will see us through. We pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen.